0: If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 as Ian brings the next message in our series. Hi there, thanks for joining us today. I don't know if you were aware, but uh, there was an outcry on the Christian Twitter sphere this week when some church pastors got outed for their misogyny. Misogyny is where there is prejudice or contempt towards women. And these church pastors were part of a private Facebook group and had been making degrading comments about a well-known female author in their denomination, a woman called Amy Bird. I guess they got all twitterpated about her recent book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and How the Church Needs to Rediscover Her Purpose. Uh, It's a book I've actually read and found helpful but I guess these church pastors felt threatened. And so some of their comments got posted onto Twitter last week, uh, screenshots of their Facebook page. Uh, And they were making comments such as, I wish her husband loved her enough to tell her to shut up. Or, why can't these women just take their shoes off and make us some sandwiches? It's the same kind of comments, actually, that Beth Moore Uh, another well-known Christian author and speaker, had got subjected to and caused her to write an open letter to her male counterparts, pleading with them not to tolerate misogyny. Now, of course, misogyny is not new to women, as I'm sure all my female listeners are well aware. You know, they've been subjected to its various forms all through history, and many have experienced Uh, sexual discrimination, belittling, or even abuse. Um, They know what it is to be regarded as inferior or as a sex object. You know, it's what really gave rise to the Me Too movement. What's tragic though, is where misogyny occurs amongst so-called Christians. Because like racism, it's the antithesis of what God intends for us in terms of how we relate to one another. And wherever we see it, you know, it needs to be confronted, it needs to be rooted out and repented of. And if I can just say this uh, to all my uh, female listeners here today, if there's anything that I have ever said that has caused you to feel belittled or inferior in any way, please, please forgive me. Okay, it's wrong, it's not what I believe And uh, you must tell me if ever that happens. In 1 Peter 3 verse 7, Peter addresses a husband's attitude towards his wife. And it's an attitude actually that I think applies to all women, which is that they are to be honored, right? They're to be treated, respected, as greatly valued, as joint heirs, he says, with us in, in this life that we share together. And yet, it's in the same passage that Peter gives some instructions that may seem contradictory to that, and which has often been taught in such a way that has left women feeling inferior, uh, or restricted, or even voiceless, uh, or is even encouraged Misogynous attitudes towards women. And so you know it is vital therefore that we seek to have a correct understanding of what Peter is saying there. So please will you join with me now as we continue our series uh, looking at his letter and let's read from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Okay he says, wives in the same way And we'll come back to that because, you know, clearly what Peter's saying here is connected to something he's said before, all right? So there's a context here that we need to pay attention to. He says, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, not saying that women should submit to men, but wives to their husbands. Be submissive to them, he says. Now, please, please don't switch the video off yet, all right, because we need to understand Why Peter would say that, all right? Earlier on in chapter 2, he's already said to his Christian readers, you know, both men and women, he says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he says, right? Uh, They're all valued. They're all precious uh, in God's sight. Uh, Each one chosen to represent God, men and women, husbands and wives equally. So why then this submission? Let's keep reading. He says, So that if any of them, if any of the husbands do not believe the word, so he's talking there about unbelieving husbands, he says, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes which in uh, Roman society is what most women would have uh, aspired to. He says, rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So let's just be clear there. He's not saying that uh, women should not wear makeup, wear nice clothes or jewelry or anything like that, uh, uh, which unfortunately is how some people have tried to apply this. Um, no, he's saying that what's more important, uh, what has greater eternal value, is possessing this inner beauty, because as we know, you know, God looks upon the heart. He says, for in the way, in, this is the way, he says, the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, which uh, in those days was a a term of respect. He says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And and sadly, it has to be said that, you know, the way some women are treated in marriage um, has given them cause to fear, which is reprehensible And God will call those husbands to account one day. Um, As Peter says here next, he says, husbands, he says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. In other words, he's saying, husbands, you must not use your physical strength, you know, your social status and so on to threaten or intimidate or put down your wives in any way. Because as I've said, that is reprehensible to God. He's saying here, wives are to be honored. You know, they're to be respected and treated like the co-heirs that they are. Otherwise, Peter says, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Right? This is serious. And it's important to understand here that you know, in those times you know, when husbands enjoyed a very privileged status and wives really had no rights at all, the way that Peter was expecting husbands to treat their wives was revolutionary in those times. Revolutionary. Now these are difficult instructions to apply to our own situation aren't they? Um, You know we live in times that seem so different to when Peter was writing and yet there are some important things here that apply to every single one of us and are relevant for how we might relate to our culture today. But in order to understand that we've got to try and understand why Peter was writing this. Uh, The big mistake, I think, that that many people make is to take a passage of Scripture like this and to try and apply it at face value without understanding the reason for which it was written. And it's when you apply Scripture kind of legalistically like that that it does so much damage, uh, not just to Christians and to churches, but to people's perception of the church and therefore their openness to hearing our message which is why it's so important that we get this right, right? Because this is a gospel issue. So why then was Peter writing this? Uh, It was during a time when Christians were being persecuted by the pagan world around them. People didn't understand these Christians, right? They talked about Jesus being Lord rather than the emperor. They were saying things like, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, right? All are included on an equal footing in their church community. Whereas in Roman society, slaves and women, they had no rights at all. They were essentially non-citizens. So any talk of uh, liberty and equality in Christ, it was revolutionary. Uh, it had the potential to upset the social order. They were a threat. To society. And what happens to a people who seem out of place in society, who are perceived as a threat? You know, what does history tell us? Well, they get persecuted. Uh, All kinds of rumors uh, get spread about them, you know, so that people come to hate them and make them scapegoats. And that, sadly, is what happened to the early church. Uh, Rumors started going around about them that they were cannibals, you know, they they would eat flesh and drink blood, you know, uh, about their incestuous relationships, you know, their being brothers and sisters and so on. And uh, and of course, when the Emperor Nero set fire to Rome, he famously blamed the Christians. He made them scapegoats and uh, executed many of them. So how then do you relate to a society that is hostile to you? Listen to what Peter says at the beginning of this section in chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, Live such good lives, which is also translated as beautiful or attractive lives. Live such beautiful lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Peter is saying to the Christians in his day, you're to win them over by how you live, right? By the beauty of your lives. And then he gives some specific examples of uh, how they might do that and understanding that it was the Christians who were really the underdogs in society. You know, for the most part, they had no rights or social standing. And yet he's saying they could have a significant influence if they would serve others with a humble and submissive attitude right? That's what he's saying here. Uh, Submission is the common theme that kind of runs right through this section of the letter. It didn't just apply to wives, it was for all Christians. You see, the social code of the day meant they really had no choice but to submit to those who were over them. And yet, Peter here is calling upon Christians to have a submissive attitude, not because it was being demanded of them, but as a matter of choice. You see, the Christians knew that they had freedom. Uh, They had equality in Christ. And yet Peter is urging them to use their newfound freedom to serve others. In fact, he says here in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, live as people who are free, living as servants of God. And then in his commentary on this, Thomas Schreiner says this. He says, hence the submission of believers is never servile or rendered out of weakness. Genuine freedom liberates believers to do what is good. They were to use their privileged standing in God to serve others, uh, trusting that God is ultimately in charge of all. Now, why would Peter say this? Certainly, being rebellious in society would not have helped their cause. You know, they were already being persecuted. They wouldn't have want people to hate them even more. right. That might have been part of the reasoning here. But Peter's main focus seems to be on, you know, how Christians relate to unbelievers, uh, especially when they're at a disadvantage. And when you look at the context, it seems to me that the main issue Peter is addressing here is how do Christians live in a hostile world in a way that points people to Jesus? How do Christians live in a hostile world in a way that points people to Jesus. Because remember, Peter started by saying, live such good lives among those who accuse you that they may come to glorify God. And then at the end of this passage of Scripture, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So his expectation is that if Christians will live like this, then it will provoke questions, right? There'll be something undeniably attractive about your life that will point people to Jesus. And that is the context here. So as we look at our passage of scripture today, we'll see that it's not so much about wives submitting to their husbands. uh, It's more about how should wives, in the context of that culture, relate to their unbelieving husbands in a way that points them to Jesus. You may not have a voice, you may have no social standing, Peter's saying, uh, but you can still win them over by the way that you lovingly, willingly serve them. So let your lives provoke them. That's what Peter's saying here. This is not so much about marriage as it is about mission. So now we understand what this is about, the next question we've got to ask ourselves is, does this have any relevance for us today? Because of course we live in a very different time. As I've said, uh, you know, we're, we're in a far more democratic society with far greater privileges and rights and freedoms, you know, where we can vote, we can uh, protest and so on. So does this have any application for Christians today? absolutely Uh, in spite of the progress that's been made there are still many similarities between our world today and the world of the first century you know we still live in a world that is largely hostile to god and to the truth of the gospel anyone wanting to follow jesus will increasingly find themselves out of step with society which means they may encounter hostility not only that, but the people that we live amongst and that we work with have, have formed certain views about the church, which you know, may not represent us or what we believe, but it means that many are not open to our message. So I would suggest that the question that Peter is answering here still applies to us today, which is how do we as Christians live in a hostile world in a way that points people to Jesus? and the answer is essentially the same it's found in having this humble submissive attitude now i realize that you know people will react to that word you know submission because of all the connotations that it has in our culture today but actually the submission that peter is talking about here uh, that's not demanded but which is freely lovingly given Uh, untainted by sin is a beautiful thing right It's, it's how Jesus lived his life he lived in perfect submission to his loving father and it's how he related to others as well this is what he said about how he related to others for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and we have been called to follow his example. It's what Peter says in uh, chapter two, verse 21. He says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And we see this example all through the New Testament. Uh, For example, in Ephesians chapter five, we see how we're called to submit to one another in the church. Uh, that might mean serving others, you know, humbly treating others as more important than ourselves, considering their needs and not just our own. Uh, it might mean uh, submitting to the counsel of others, uh, receiving help from others, or maybe respectfully listening to someone else's point of view. You know, serving in this way is usually costly because it means humbling yourself and putting others first. It means honoring them. We also see in Ephesians 5 how husbands and wives are to demonstrate this submission in marriage, uh, each following Christ's example in the way that they love and serve each other, considering each other's interests as their own, uh, with husbands taking the lead in submitting their lives, laying down their lives for their partner, for their co-heir, just as Christ did for his church. And, you know, it's when people see the beauty of submission in the way that we relate to one another, that's what will provoke them. Because it stands out in, in stark contrast to the ugliness of our world. But what will really provoke questions is when we submit our lives for them, right? When we love our neighbors by serving them, seeking their good even when they are hostile to us or to what we believe, you know, we seek to win them over uh, by our humble, submissive attitude. In fact, as one Bible commentator put it, he said this, part of the theology behind these commands to submit is grounded in a deep love for the soul of others. Peter asks Christians to forfeit certain rights so that others may be won for Christ. By practicing submission, the person is showing they care more for the souls of others than for their personal comforts. They've placed all their trust in God and they are conforming to the life lived by Jesus on this earth. It's as we follow Jesus in his example of submission, you know, using our freedom to serve others, becoming more and more like Jesus, that's what will provoke questions and cause people to glorify God. That's how we're meant to live in a hostile world. That's what will point people to Jesus. So how might you serve someone this week? How might God be calling you to humble yourself for the sake of someone else. Let me close by saying this. The good news of the gospel is that in God's kingdom, whoever comes to Christ can enjoy the same unbelievable privileges of what it means to be children of God. You know, whether rich or poor, black or white, male or female, we are all children of the king. We are all heirs and co-heirs with Christ, equal in value and dignity. However, the world that we live in today is not a level playing field. It wasn't in Peter's day, and it's not in our world today either. Uh, Not everyone has access to the same opportunities. Not everyone enjoys the same advantages. And that may be to do with the country that you were born in, or because of your education, or your social economic background, or it may be because of your gender, or your ethnicity, you know. Some people enjoy the kind of position and privileges that husbands enjoyed in Peter's day. For others, their experience would be more like the wives. But I would suggest that for the vast majority of us, uh, certainly in our church and here in the West, we are more like the husband. You know, we're not being called to serve from a position of inequality or disadvantage. Um, but as those who are in a more privileged position. Um, And therefore, one of the ways that we are called to proclaim the gospel is to do what Peter was calling for husbands to do, which is to be willing to lay down their position and their rights and their privileges for the sake of those who were disadvantaged in order to lift them up, right? We're to treat them as valued, as equals, we're to honor them, listen to them, serve them. And we do so because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. And he demonstrated that on one occasion when he, the Lord of all, took a towel, tied it around his waist, and he knelt down in humility and washed. His disciples feet and he said to them I'm giving you an example that you should do as I have done and Peter seems to re- be referring to that at the end of his letter in chapter 5 verse 5 where he says this he says clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's such a different attitude to the one that sadly many Christians seem to be expressing today. You know, whether it's those misogynistic pastors or Christians who are wanting to assert their rights, impose their views, hold a position. Can I please urge us all to be imitators of Christ and to follow his example. You know that when we were lost, when we were hostile to God, And blinded to the truth that Jesus was willing to give up his position right he was willing to lay down his privileges and his rights he came from heaven to earth as a servant and he submitted himself to death death on a cross and why so that we might be lifted up so that we might become heirs and co-heirs with him for all eternity So let's do likewise, right? Let's humble ourselves and go and serve others.